Ready or not, here I come. Oh, no, it's come out, come out, wherever you are. <laughs> you sound like a chipmunk. It's time for Murder of Ages. Oh. Alvin! <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You look like a chipmunk, too. Oh, that's what I've been striving for. Thank you, Karen, for noticing. You are so welcome. All those hours put in and makeup tutorials on YouTube are paying off. Yeah, Thank I can you. tell. Thank you. It looks natural. <laughs> That's what I was going for, that natural chipmunkness. I like it. Thanks. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Glad Ladies you're here. Jones. Are you? I don't know. Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> this is Murder of Ages. I'm Karen. I'm Marcy. We have a long show for you today because of my story. Buckle up. And we all know Marcy's going to interrupt, so it's going to be an extra hour. Yep. <laughs> yep. I yep. I, I, I have got nothing. I can't even dispute it. Now I'm warming up. i got to take my little sweater off, my grandpa's sweater. So comfy, though. I know, but I'm getting sweaty. I'm nervous for my story. Aww. Ooh. Well, you know, let's just get it over with. Are you ready? I'm so ready. <laughs> you got it. Okay. It's not like it's our first episode or anything. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it feels like the first time every time. Feels like the first time. There we go. Time. All right. So I am now, Karen, you heard of the Black Dahlia. Right? Yes. California. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Short. She was dismembered and bled dry. Right. Then we have the um, Butcher of King's Ray Run. You heard of that one? No. So Cleveland, um, unknown serial killer, dismembering and castrating victims and leaving them in uh, low-class, like, ghetto part of Cleveland oh. called Kingsbury. Okay. So we have our own little dismemberment in the Pacific Northwest. Oh. <gasps> The Portland Torso Murder. Oh. Gross. Yes. I got this from the 1946 Portland Torso Murder with J.D. Chandler, a true crime history podcast. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Check it out. It was actually pretty good. That's a mouthful. I'm, yeah. (laughs) Well, I know you like having a mouthful, Karen, so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about food. I'm not talking about. Don't go there pasta and ice cream mm-hmm. the best okay um wikipedia and then slab town chronicle blob article dark river written by jd chandler who was guest star on the podcast episode gotcha i listened to okay here we go starting off with a quote by cold case detective john krummenecker He said it was brutal without a doubt. One of the most brutal, gory things that happened in that time. The public's attention was grasped by it. And now I'm going to grasp your attention. I'm grasped. Are you grasped, Sid? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. So spring and summer of 1946, packages started floating in the Willamette River. So little set the stage here the willamette river at that time was very gross people okay. were throwing their waste and sewage oh, right into the river no no filter portland i guess had a little bit of a treatment operation happening but upriver smaller towns no Psh. yucky yeah. uh people still like to walk along the river though and even though swimming. it's dunk <laughs> i don't know if they went swimming <laughs> i mean maybe so Three people walking along April 12th, 1946, they see a burlap sack and they decide to fish it to the side. Uh, They thought it was a bag of dead kittens. So, I mean, of course you want to get that out of the river, I guess. Yeah. That's my first guess as a... Would that be yours too? Oh my gosh, there's a bunch of dead kittens in there. That'd be my first guess. Yeah. Turns out, so the package was secure with rope and wire. Uh, they get it to shore, open it. Turns out, it contained a fully clothed torso Ew. of a woman uh, wearing an overcoat, long underwear, and dark sweater. Okay, it also contained weights, 
which apparently didn't do that good of a job since it was floating. <laughs> and the lower portion of the torso, so like towards the genitalia area, mm-hmm. um, showed burn marks, possibly from a blowtorch. Oh, no. So they're thinking torture. Oh, no. So the river at this time is a very busy place. Lots of, that's the way things are. What are we, what am I looking for? Transported, transportation logs. Oh, okay. Um, barges, that kind of thing. And news hits about this torso being found, and some men that were taking a load of logs had remember seeing a burlap sack in the water, but they didn't really think anything of it. <clears throat> but when they heard about this torso being found, they decided to let police know yeah, and take him to the spot. So April 13th, they returned to the area and found the package was still floating, and it was floating in the falls. Uh, this goodie bag contained the woman's right thigh and both arms oh so this was about six miles from where the first bag was discovered this also contained weights and it had been wound with telephone wire the hands were severed from the arms and the foot from the leg so but they cannot find the hands or the feet it was just the Wait, arms pause inside. really quick. This did the sorry, not actual pause. Oh. <laughs> pause your story. Me. Sorry. Um did like the writers of Dexter like know the story? Cuz that seriously Maybe. sounds exactly what he does. He like chops them up, puts them in bags and throws them in the water. <gasps> Waited, but he must use something cuz they this person used sash weights, which I was going to click on the Wikipedia article and see what the fuck those are, but I don't. They must be like like literally lightweights? I don't know. You know, like a little hand hand weights, maybe? Probably pink. Know. Yeah. Those pink rubber ones. <laughs> yeah. In nineteen forty six. Three pounder. Hmm. I bet. Okay. Three months later, this is late July, nineteen forty six, the left thigh is discovered floating under the Oregon City Bridge. July twenty ninth. Same year, uh, bundles of women's clothing were also found in the Clackamas River, which is the tributary of the Willamette. So I think that means it runs into the Willamette gotcha. or it runs off of the Willamette. Something like that. I have no idea. I didn't Google it. I'm sorry. Don't get well, mad I, at me. Stop I wasn't it. even going to ask you. So <laughs> oh. I'm not Marcy. Okay. Uh, let's see. So detectives were thinking that maybe the perpetrator had gotten rid of the body in both the Clackamas and the Willamette. So to two different locations, kind of you know, uh, spreading okay. out. So, oh you ready? Deep breath. In September, what appeared to be fragments of a human scalp were discovered near Willamette Falls. The next month, in October 13th, 46, another package. This one contained a woman's severed head Ooh. it was found where close to where the torso had been found okay. so did the person wait to get rid of the head or was it stuck under something and just right. came afloat? um and that was actually found by a married couple that were out out for a walk oh sweet so um on the blog website i was at they had a picture of the wanted poster so they're wanting information of who this woman is right there was a picture of the head. Oh. Uh-huh. It will be on our Instagram. Murder Ew. Ew. I know. $500 reward. Wait, um, so this is in the 40s. Yep. So they probably didn't do like dental records then. Oh, just wait. Oh, oh, I'm waiting. Sorry. My gosh, slow down. I'm pulling a Marcy. Cool your jet, Karen. Uh, and cool he's not it. hanging out with you. <laughs> no, don't please. <laughs> You're my only friend. <laughs> Uh, a pathologist from the University of Oregon examined the torso and believed it belonged to a female of about 50 years old. Um, he thinks maybe it was in the water for no more than 36 hours Oh, prior to when okay. it was discovered. So what is that, like a day and a half? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's around between 5'2 and 5'4, about 140 pounds, and light brown hair. And they believe the cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. Okay, the teeth. Okay, teeth. So she had dentures. 
damn it. <laughs> damn it, lady. Which, though, that's a good thing because in the 40s, not a lot of people had dentures. Oh. And also, that was a big way to ID people through dental records. Got back then. It. Unfortunately. Did they fall out? The dentures? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they took them out. So the dentures, they thought they were going to be able to ID this woman through the dentures. Right. Um, turns out they couldn't do that. And they had, apparently the police department had some hot leads that they fizzled out. And the investigation seems to stop. Aww. Why did it stop? Why did it stop? This is where our friend J.D. Chandler's investigation starts. So this is a gentleman. He wrote a book. I don't know, but he was on the podcast, and then he has that blog. Okay. but So he's just, like, a researcher? Like, he's not... Yeah, and he teamed up with another researcher named Teresa oh, okay. for this book that they wrote. Okay. So, um... Okay, and so in the 1950s, all of the evidence disappeared. Uh, and then the case was reopened in 2004 by Clackamas County Sheriff's Office Detective John Kremenecker. And he's, uh, even though it's not looking good, they can solve it, because, yeah, all the evidence dentures close everything's gone hmm. uh he says that the end result is this there's a middle-aged woman that was brutally murdered with blunt force trauma blow to her head then she was sawn up cut up dismembered and thrown in the river like a piece of garbage hmm. no it's true okay dexter theories you ready for some theories i am okay jd chandler has one that he thinks it's plausible, but to tell you his theory, I have to give you a little backstory about Portland in 1946. Okay. All right. Actually, I have to go before that. <laughs> Sorry. I got to okay. go back to Portland's first police chief, James LaPants. LaPants? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like mm. LaPants. La sexy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was what was known as a blacklight gambler. Um, so one of the first laws set in Portland was for gambling. Oh. So he was the first chief back in the 1800s. Oh. Yeah. And, but, so they didn't really enforce the gambling law, but more contained it. So they contained it so they would still get revenue from gambling and alcohol, the city would. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually opened a theater and a saloon, a very high-class theater, uh, highest-class theater and gambling in the city. Very suave. Mm. Public and political meetings were held there. So he created this atmosphere where police were involved in vice crimes, you know, gambling, alcohol, prostitution. And so in order to contain them, certain people would be able to get away with it, while others didn't. Uh, This was the start of their organized law enforcement. And then we get to prohibition, which was illegal alcohol. Right. Right. So during the first year, the city did try really hard to enforce it, but they they couldn't really do anything. So here's an example. A bootlegger, he was on trial, and the jury demanded to have the evidence, which would be the whiskey mm-hmm. that he had on him. So they took it with him while they deliberated, drank it, <laughs> and then the evidence was gone, so it was a mistrial. And then when this happened one other time, but it was a judge that drank oh, the whiskey. Not a boy. Okay, so we have 1918, George Baker. He was the mayor. And um, so on the West Coast, during Prohibition, there's these slot machines and little taverns throughout Oregon, Idaho, and Washington. And I didn't know this. I thought this was really interesting. The profits from these little slot machines went to Al Capone. Whoa. So, yeah, his reach in Chicago came all this way. Whoa. I know, right? Mind blown. Can you turn off your phone? So, I'm sorry I'm so popular. Dad. Don't hate me. I thought I was your only friend. <laughs> it was Poshmark notifications. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so George Baker had an employee who was known as the crime chief. His name was Bobby Evans. He was, so Al Capone, of course, his agency would have more, like, organized crime in Portland, but he kept it out. So all they had was a slot machine. So, since they were keeping out that mob... He became the mob, and he would run speakeasies and take payoffs mm, working okay. for the police. And as long as people didn't cause attention to themselves, the police ignored him and just kept going after their competition. So such as and so they would arrest people for brewing beer in their garage mm. and, you know, little stuff. 
Sounds fun. And Portland actually became the main point of distribution of whiskey on the West Coast. Oh. At the same time, it was also known as the driest city. That's oh. because the supply was down in the police ba- basement. Literally. <laughs> so oh this is, God. I forgot to do the um, inflation, but the city made $100,000 a month from alcohol sales, 50000 a month from gambling, and fifteen to 20000 in prostitution that's literally like big business millions yeah because i was what 19 this is in the 20s and that's how yeah. the city city even stayed afloat right from all this that's insane so um while in uniform police would deliver alcohol oh wow i wrote leslie nope would be very disappointed very <laughs> ron swanson wouldn't be though he'd be all for it oh yeah uh, so the mayor even had a secret police squad for blackmailing, destroying evidence, and creating fake arrests. Oh. Okay. This is where his theory is. He theorizes that Anna Schrader is the woman that was dismembered okay. in 1946. Because, so she disappeared and there was never any evidence that was investigated. And for three weeks... In 1946, someone posted classified ads in the Oregonian anonymously looking for her. Hmm. And there were a lot of people that wanted her dead. So the um, Portland Police Bureau had a lot of influence over the Multnomah County Sheriff's Department, and they were the ones investigating Hmm. the torso packages. And so, I mean, did they have a reason to cover up her murder? They did. She was an enemy to the current police chief, Leon Jenkins. So Anna came to Portland in 1910. Um, So she was single and she was also ready to mingle in her 20s. Yeah. And so when you're single in your 20s, you can't really do anything. You're kind of like a social pariah, leper. Because. What are you trying to say, huh? It was socially unacceptable to be in your late 20s and not married well fuck me <laughs> well it's not for 1946 so it might as well okay. be <laughs> so she married edward schrader and they met because they were both at the same boarding house so it's kind of like the first person she saw got it that's who she married so after she got married she became very active she was active politically for the republican party she was part of women's clubs and she was famous for her swimming she was very attractive and was even a Rose Queen princess. Oh. She started having an affair, of course, with Bill Bruning. Why do you say of course? <laughs> of course she had an affair. Of course she did. I mean, she's this vibrant, you know, exciting woman. And she had to get married, but probably not for love. Anyways, the story continues. Don't roll your eyes at me. So Edward, he was a police officer. A rising star in the police world community yeah Yeah. world um he her husband worked nights so bill would come over at night and this was in 1923 and he was also married at the time wait who's bill the police officer she's having an affair with bill bruning oh okay yeah and she would pretend to be married to him and at this time she also started working as an informant and she would turn in her friends for drinking oh what a bitch what a cunt Mm mm-hmm see don't don't be a cunt don't do it Now, in 1929, his wife found out about Anna, and there is some speculation that she told his wife. Oh. So he ended the relationship, but she didn't take it well. Uh, One night, she waited for him outside his house and pulled a gun on him, firing it, and she was arrested, and so he started claiming that she was crazy, and when she would do her informants or informing, he would undermine her when she would try to do that. And so this was a big blow up for the police department, this big scandal that Mm -hmm. happened because he was, like I said, a rising star. And so the chief and mayor tried to cover it up, but she just kept talking about police corruption, claiming that she had evidence. Um, She testified at a grand jury of police corruption, making herself enemy number one of Chief Jenkins and Mayor Baker. So all of the corruption of the city government was starting to seep out. Officials went to jail. And then Anna ran for mayor. Oh, wow. In 1932. 1934, she's not heard from anymore. She just kind of goes quiet. So 
J.D. Chandler, who wrote the book, uh-huh. he thinks that they got some dirt on her and were able to keep her quiet somehow. Uh-huh. So in 1941, her husband, Edward, passes away. And then in 46, this is never heard from again. And this, the 1946 is significant because Leon Jenkins, who was police chief before, he takes office again because the current chief felt ill. So... The thinking is that she had had enough and decided she was going to come forward since he got back into office or into police chief. Okay. Um, the Chandler thinks the murderer was the man she was having the affair with, Bill Bruning. Uh-huh. Just because it was so personal with the torture and the cutting up. And, I mean, she killed his career. Yeah. With the scandal. So he, you know, afterwards, it took him five to six years he, to even find work. Oh, wow. And then he was working as, like, a security guard. You know, it was... Sucks to suck. Um, yeah, so that's what J.D. Chandler thinks. And I think that's what happened. But I don't know. I think if they were going to kill her, they would have done it back when she first started making a mess. But I don't know if... Well, now that I say that, maybe too many people would have noticed if she'd yeah. gone missing then. So I wonder hmm. if they even hired someone to do it. Because yeah. obviously she pissed off a lot of, you know, powerful people in the community and they have money and power, they could have had, like, an ex-con do it for... Why an ex-con, Karen? Or, you know, well, They're I'm people saying... too. Well, because he's a cop, so he could be like, hey, <sighs> if you do this, yeah, that's I'll true. let you off. Or... I, d- I don't know if I th- believe it was the person she's having an affair with. Yeah. that takes a lot, I mean, to cut up a body. You have to be a real monster. Have you done it? <sighs> Not this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, theory number two. Okay, there's also speculation that could be connected to the Cleveland Torso Murders, the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Okay. So this serial killer was active in the 30s in Cleveland and never caught. Twelve victims total dismembered and left around the Kingsbury Run neighborhood from 1935 to 1938. Uh, The victims were usually drifters, the working poor who lived in shanty towns, so he would behead and then dismember his victims. And um, a lot of times death was actual decapitation. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Most of the male victims were castrated. Um, some even showed evidence of chemical treatment being applied to their bodies. And they were found after a considerable time following their deaths, sometimes as much as a year. Oh, wow. So there's also theories that it was more than just one person doing the butchering in Cleveland because the ages of victims were all varied, genders were varied. Um, so there's thinking that maybe one of these people came west, murdered in Portland, then in 1947 murdered Elizabeth Short in California. Oh. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, I mean, unlike the others, she was totally drained of blood. So was it somebody perfecting their method as they moved west? Possibly. No. So, you know, that's just kind of the speculation of the Portland torso murder. And I have pictures of Anna Schrader and her lover. Pictures of the clothes that were found with the the body. And yeah, here, let me show you. There's actually. Pictures of the dentures here as well, as Ooh. long as with the head. Mm. Oh, no. Uh-huh. Oh, no. You're welcome for those nightmares. Oh, my God. The fucking head looks like a Chucky doll that was burned. Uh, that looks that, bad. I can't believe that they even... Uh, yeah. Well, and I... I mean, okay, I've been watching Dexter way too much <laughs> recently, <laughs> but... <laughs> Obviously, Dexter's, you know, he's supposed to be, like, the good guy in the show Mm -hmm. because he's killing people who have done horrible things. Mm -hmm. So there's not a one type of Oh, yeah, his is all over the planet. What is that called? Like, vigilante? Is that what it's called? I mean, he's also fictional. Yes. That's important to remember. Yes. (laughs) Very true. Oh, and this was too long ago because... I feel like there's been so many, like, copycats since Dexter came out. There actually was, was one. Yeah. 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 I can't remember where it, where it was. was I it can't California? Either. 
I don't know. If you know, you can email us at murderofages at gmail.com. We might have to venture out and do it. Oh, yeah, we could do that. One day. One day. One episode. Oh, and hey, don't forget to leave us some, just leave us some stars on iTunes. It makes us so (laughs) happy. You know what? One through five, you take your pick. How are you feeling? Just, even if you give us one star, you know, it lets us know you were thinking about us. That's true. You Mm -hmm. have. That's cool. You, like, took time out of your day to go leave us a one star. Yeah. So, you know, it didn't hurt us. So, thank you. But, you know what? To someone else listening, you want to leave five stars? That's okay, too. I mean, you know, (laughs) whatever floats your boat. We're not going to bribe you or anything or beg you. I'm going to beg. Plead. I'm not. Interrupt your whole story just to say that. my God. (laughs) Just kidding. Okie dokie. So... I got my information from Wikipedia, True Crime Daily on YouTube, and InsideHook.com. Ooh, I got the Inside Hook. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is about Joseph Edward Duncan III. He is said to be the most dangerous serial killer in America. So I wanted to say that first because I want to hear your thoughts after Oh. I tell you the story. Well, my thought right now is, aren't they all? <laughs> well, you'll you'll see why. Uh, and this is just uh, so insane because I've never heard of him. The name sounds familiar. He's pretty me. fucked up. And oh, it is gosh. scary. Okay, you ready? <laughs> Can I take a muscle relaxer before I do that? He's Xanax. Okay, so Joseph was born February 25th, 1963 in Tacoma, Washington. Joseph has a long history as a violent sexual predator. He committed his first recorded sex crime in 1978 in Tacoma when he was 15 years old. In that incident, he raped a nine-year-old boy at gunpoint. Oh, Karen. I didn't make the story up. Go. The following year, he was arrested driving a stolen car. He was sentenced as a juvenile and sent to Dyslin Boys Ranch in Tacoma, where he told a therapist that he had bound and sexually assaulted six boys already. And then he also told the therapist that he estimated that he had raped 13 younger boys by the time he was 16. I mean... This is a ranch, so I'm assuming they have guns. Just take him out and get rid of him. Right? That's right, what I'm right saying. Then and there. It's you could have over. saved a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it's done. Don't even. I mean, he's even admitting if it's not it. true, and he, someone says that. Ugh. Yeah, gross. Bye bye. What teenage boy is going to like say that? That's what I don't understand. Wrong number. Don't call back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in 1980, also in Tacoma. Joseph stole a number of guns from a neighbor and then abducted a 14-year-old boy and raped him at gunpoint. Oh, my gosh. Joseph was sentenced to 20 years in prison for this crime, but, of course, he was released on parole in 1994 after serving 14 years. While Mm -hmm. on parole, Joseph is known to have lived in several places in the Seattle area. He was arrested again in 1996, this time for marijuana use and released on parole several weeks later with new restrictions. Um, I don't know what those restrictions are. Hmm. I should just not copied and pasted. Whoops. Yeah. So authority. You know I have to know. I, Google I, it right now. I, I can do not say another word. Freaking you waiting for you to ask, too. <laughs> what restrictions? <laughs> um, authorities believe that during his parole, Joseph murdered Sammy Joe White and at Carmen Cubias in Seattle in 1996, and um, Anthony Martinez in Riverside County, California in 1997. However, both of those cases went cold and were not tied to Joseph until after this next case. Mm. Let's see. So Joseph was arrested in Kansas and returned to prison in 1997 after violating the terms of his parole. Of course, he was released again from prison on July 14, 2000, with a time off for good behavior, and moved to North Dakota. Okay, then 
in March 2005. Joseph which was charged with the July 3rd, 2004 molestation of two boys at a playground in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. On April 5th, 2005, he appeared before a judge who set bail at 15000 A businessman who Joseph knew helped him post bail. What? Mm-hmm. So then Joseph... A.K.A. accomplice. Who Why knows? Why else would you post bail for that sick fuck? No idea. So then Joseph disappeared. He left. So then on June 1st, 2005, a federal warrant was issued and uh, for his arrest on the charge of unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. So that was, so they put out a warrant in June 2005. So the story I'm going to tell you happened in May 2005, so before this warrant okay. was put out. I think I understand. So he posted bail in April, and then this murder happened in may oh the next and month. then in june is when the warrant oh, was put okay. out so, okay okay so this is the idaho murders and kidnappings on may 16th 2005 authorities discovered the bodies of brenda groney she's 40 her boyfriend mark mckenzie 37 her son slade 13 in their home along lake cordelaine outside of the city Coraline. Um, two of Brenda's other children, Dylan, who's nine, and Shasta, who was eight, were missing. An Amber Alert was issued. So the search started. Autopsies determined the cause of death was a blunt trauma to the head. And authorities also noted that the victims had been bound. Mm. So seven weeks later, in the early morning of July 2nd, 2005, Shasta was seen at a Denny's restaurant in Coeur d'Alene in the company of an unknown man. So, during this time when, like, the Amber Alert went out, you know, like, those big billboards uh-huh. on highways were pictures of Dylan and Shasta. Oh. I think it's Shasta or Sh- Shasta. How's it spelled? S-H-A-S-T-A. I would say Shasta. Shasta. Okay. Um, so, so sad. Like, you, you know, see these two big-ass yeah. pictures on the highway. So, and, I mean, they were all over the news. Like, luckily, this was in 2005. So, there's, you know, internet and technology mm-hmm. and news and stuff. Um, and Coeur d'Alene's a small town. So, I feel like a lot of people know other people or at least would recognize them mm, yeah easily so a waitress at denny's she saw them coming in and she went to her manager and said i'm pretty sure that's the little girl on the billboard oh my god and she's like you know i think we should call the police if it's not her i will take full responsibility i will pay for their you know meal oh, like so amazing it's you know yeah it seriously like me too when i watched it and she was telling the story and she was like if you know if it's not them then yeah like i'll apologize to them whatever like you can fire me like she was just like i have a gut oh, feeling and she listened to it yeah oh, it's so important so she calls the cops and they actually play the 911 call <gasps> And you can tell she was so nervous. She was just like, hi, like, I think, um, you know, one of my customers is that little girl on the billboard. She's like, I'm I'm not sure, though. Like, you know, she she was nervous. um, But the dispatcher was really sweet and was like, okay, thank you. I will send someone now. SWAT team. Basically. Right. So police arrived and a cop came up to the table and asked, (laughs) and asked uh, Shasta what her name is. And Shasta actually said um, that she looked at Joseph, and Joseph said, go ahead, tell him your name. And she did. And they took her. And He just knew it was over. Yeah, I think so. I think he was just like, all right, you know, whatever. Oh, my gosh. Okay. 
So um, Shasta was found without Dylan. So authorities had, you know, little hope of finding him alive. Um, They asked her. And she said that he was in heaven with, I think she said, with, like, Mommy and Slade. Oh, how does... She was eight years old. Oh, how... I mean, how do you even so much therapy and just oh my gosh so yes. traumatized absolutely um poor baby so the, joseph had a rental car from minnesota that he never returned so it still had um different license plates and i think it was reported stolen mm-hmm. or something uh so somewhat a gas station employee and Kellogg, which is about 40 miles from Coeur d'Alene, recognized that vehicle. And they showed the footage from the gas station. And Shasta and Joseph went inside. And it looks totally normal, right? Like, he wasn't being weird, didn't, like, yell at her or anything. And she was following him, and they went and got a soda and, like, went out. And it's in color. Like, you can fully see it perfectly. It oh gave me the God, chills. That server. I mean. Oh, my God. So, did anybody else at the Denny's be like, oh, I thought that was her, anything like that? Or was she the only one that I think she was connection? the only one. Oh yeah. Because I'm sure everyone else was just, you know. Fucking hero. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, all over. Yeah. It's insane. So, that surveillance footage helped identify them together um let's see on july 4th 2005 investigators found human remains at a remote makeshift campsite in the lolo national forest near saint regis montana the remains were sent to the fbi lab in quantico for dna testing and they were identified as dylan's i wonder if he led them to where those... Well, I'll, I'll tell oh, you. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to actually... Um, I watched an interview that Shasta did. Oh. And she told the whole story. Oh, so my gosh. it says much of what is known about the Grony family murders is revealed by Shasta herself. So according baby. Oh. to her, um, Joseph came inside their house. And the mom knew someone was inside. So she went and told the kids. And then it was kind of already too late. Uh. So then the boyfriend, Mark, he, you know, was kind of like, what the fuck do you want type of a thing? And he's like, if you want money, we don't have money. I'm sorry. Like, and Joseph was just like, I don't want money. So Shasta said she didn't see her parents being killed, um, but she heard it, and she said, like, sh- she still remembers that her mom, you can hear her trying to scream, and then just couldn't, because she was killed. So, they were, the parents were murdered, and then Slade, which is the oldest brother, okay, he somehow got away so he ran outside and joseph chased after him hit him in the head and shasta said that he went on a picnic table which they had outside and he sits down and then she just sees him collapse and he died Mm -hmm. then joseph took dylan and shasta so he kidnapped the two younger ones okay so Okay, so Shasta said that uh, they were taken to other locations where they were um, frequently molested and tortured for six weeks. Oh, my God. I didn't realize it had been that long. Six Mm -hmm. weeks? Yeah. (gasps) So she said that they drove a long distance and stayed at two different campsites. So I'm assuming, obviously, one of them was the Montana one. So they're going from... Idaho to Montana, which is a probably a long road trip for yeah, a kid. Pretty good. Um, and Joseph told her that he killed her family with a hammer. That was his signature oh, weapon was a hammer. Oh my god. Which 
grosses me out for some reason. I don't like hitting someone in the head with a hammer. Like, oh, the oh sound. just ugh. okay. Okay, so Dylan obviously was murdered. So this is what happened. Um, Joseph insisted that he shot Dylan on accident. So he said that he was digging through a clear plastic box looking for a beer when a shotgun went off and hit Dylan in the stomach. Shasta didn't see that she because she was on the other side of the car. So she only heard it. And then she ran over and saw that Dylan was hit and was like, oh, my God. And then Joseph grabs the shotgun and he pulls the trigger at Dylan's head. He was obviously killed instantly to the head when he was hit in the head. Um, Shasta said immediately after killing Dylan, Joseph started crying and told her that he only killed him to put him out of his misery. So to her, it kind of seemed like, okay, maybe that, that first shot was an accident and he wasn't dead when he was shot in the stomach. So I don't know. It's just that weird, like... If he wanted to kill us, he already would have type of a thing. Yeah, six weeks. Mm, yeah. So Shasta also reported that Joseph nearly killed her days after killing Dylan. Um, she said that he gave her a choice to either be killed by strangulation or with a gun. Shasta chose strangulation because... Mm. I fucking don't... When she's telling the story, I was crying. It's amazing because she was eight years old and she was thinking about all of this. She was thinking about ways of how to manipulate him. Oh, my gosh. I mean, your daughter is eight right now and I cannot... Just even with direction and everything, like Shasta was so well aware of what was going on and what she needed to do to live. I... Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, beyond adults in that situation. Okay, so Joseph starts to wrap a rope around her neck and pull it. And Shasta said she's feeling, you know, kind of dizzy and like lightheaded. And she's begging him to stop. And then she calls him Jet. And that's his nickname from when he was like a kid. How does she know? I mean, he must have told her. Well, yeah, she got to know him. That's what... I guess the six weeks. That's what really blows my mind, though, is she was trying to get to know him. I think she knew she could use some of this information later. Oh, my gosh. You know? So when she called him Jet, he immediately stopped. And he let her live. Oh, my God. Um... Then he asked her if he would like, if she would like to meet his mother. And she said yes. So they drove back to Coeur d'Alene. So she says they're driving in Coeur d'Alene. They drive past her school. Wow. They drive past, she said, her best friend's house. And she said that, you know, they stopped at a light or whatever, a stop sign. And she was thinking to herself, I could get out right now and go to my best friend's house. And not, you know, like knock on the wow. door and they could save me. Like she knew exactly where she was, you know, just Jeez. so aware. It's just like mind blowing to me. Um, and then that's when they went to the Denny's restaurant and then wow. she was saved. Like it's just Holy so fuck. amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So obviously she's older now. In that interview, um, she was actually pregnant. <gasps> yeah. And she admits, she said, um, oh, because she was reunited with her biological dad. And they were actually homeless for a while. And people, the community in Coeur d'Alene stepped up and helped them and did fundraisers and just amazing things for them. So she went from this horrible traumatic experience and then having to be, and then homeless with her. Oh, my. I mean... What kind of hand did she get dealt? Jesus. It's so sad. But she said it was really great because she didn't really have a relationship with her biological dad. And then they became best friends. You know, like they just were able to bond now. And at first when she said Mm. that, I was kind of worried that he was a shitty dad. Obviously, we don't know the story. Um, But, 
it was great for her, you know, and I think he was doing everything he could to protect her. I wonder if he, you know, was into drugs prior or what, who knows what happened. Um, but then she did get into some trouble, you know, she was fucking traumatized and her whole family was murdered. Um, so as a teen, you know, she was caught doing drugs and drinking and went to juvie, like all this stuff that it happens, right? Yeah. And I wonder too, like how much help did she get after this? Exactly. Um, then she was telling the interviewer that, cause now she, you know, she's in a great place. She's doing really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she told the interviewer that when Joseph was being arrested at that Denny's, he looked at her and said, promise me when you're older that you'll come visit me. <gasps> Ew. And, yeah. Oh. I thought the same thing, but she has a totally mm-hmm. different mindset about it. She told him she promises. I mean, she was eight years old at the time. Yeah. Um, but then even now as an adult, she says that she's actually trying to get in touch with him because she wants him to know that he doesn't control her life anymore. Oh, my God. That she's doing okay and she's having so a great strong. life. I know. Does like, she holy still live fuck. in Coeur d'Alene um, I think she's in... Boise area so a little further down but uh yeah it's just amazing and her story's amazing um but there are some other crimes that we'll touch base on so Anthony Martinez was one of the boys the case went cold oh uh uh-huh let's see so April 4th 1997 10 year old Anthony Martinez was playing with friends in the front yard of his home in Beaumont, California, where a unknown man approached the group of friends asking to find a missing cat. Aww. Don't ever help a gross man find a missing anything. He'll help, any, he'll help anyone find their stuff. No. They can find their own shit. So when the boys refused, the oh, man man. grabbed Anthony Oh, at knife point and threw him into his vehicle. I mean, you think a group of kids, 10 years old, playing in the front yard, you should be safe. Yeah. <sighs> right. Agreed. So after a two-week search, Anthony's body was found nude and partially decomposed <sighs> in Indio, California. So investigators noted that he had been sexually assaulted and bound with duct tape. Um... Although a composite sketch of the suspect was made available and a partial fingerprint was taken from the duct tape, the case eventually went cold. So then, fast forward to July 2005, thank God for the internet, some bloggers, it reminds me of like us, like solving a cold case, right? Um, They noticed similarities between the cases. So between um, the Grony family murders and uh, this case, the Martinez case. So uh, the FBI and National Center for Missing Children and Exploited or Missing and Exploited Children became involved and in turn contacted Riverside County authorities. Riverside authorities were able to match the fingerprint taken from Anthony's body to Joseph. And on August 3rd, the Riverside County Sheriff officially announced Joseph's connection. Whoa. So then, Sammy Joe White and Carbon Cubias, um, federal prosecutors also revealed that Joseph confessed to the murders of Sammy Joe, who was 11, and her sister Carmen, who was 9, mm. who had vanished on July 6, 1996 after leaving a motel in Seattle. Their remains were found February 10th, 1998, so two years later, in Bothell, Washington. Bothell? Mm. Washington? I don't even know where that is. By Seattle. Okay, so here's the trials. So it's a little crazy because um, he's been convicted by three different courts. Wow. Yeah. So, like, all at the same time, so it's a little confusing. Um, so I'll try to try to make it not confusing. Okay. Good luck. Okay. So the first one. Um, so Idaho District Court is 
charging him for the kidnapping and murders of Brenda and Slade Groney and Mark McKenzie. The United States District Court for the District of Idaho is charging him for the kidnapping of Shasta and Dylan Groney, the murder of Dylan, and other crimes. So, like, having a gun and stolen car, mm -hmm. blah, blah. And then the third one, a California Superior Court is charging him for the kidnapping and murder of Anthony Martinez. So, in Idaho... So he first appeared in court on July 13th, 2005, where he was charged with three counts of first-degree murder and three counts of first-degree kidnapping. So this was the Grony family murders. So they wanted to also charge him with Shasta and Dylan Grony, but the federal court was doing that because they were taken across state lines. Oh. So... That's why the federal court had to do it. Huh. Um, so trial was set to begin January 17, 2006, but was delayed until April because the district, the district judge granted a request to the defense for more time to prepare for the trial. And then again on October 26th. So this took a while to finally go to court. Mm. And the judge said that he kept giving them more time because he said, no one wants to try this case twice, including me. Yeah. Because it was so bad, you know? Um, But then Joseph's attorneys blamed all this postponements. Um, Who would even want to defend him? I know. God, that was a shitty job. Yeah. Okay, so October 2006, blah, blah, it started. Um... He was immediately sentenced to three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole for the three kidnapping charges. So so essentially they kind of had to wait to see what the other ones were going to charge him with type of a thing. But so that was his first one. So now the federal. Um, so January 18, 2007. So he was... Charged with 10 counts of kidnapping, kidnapping resulting in death, aggravated sexual abuse of a minor, and sexual exploitation of a child resulting in death. And then the other crimes, which is the illegal firearm possession and vehicle theft. On December 3rd, 2007, it also took a long time again because everyone wanted to get all their information and evidence together. Um, But Joseph pleaded guilty to all 10 charges against him. Um, As a condition of this agreement, Shasta would not have to testify in court. Yeah. Good. She, God, that poor Mm -hmm. child. Um, So on August 27, 2008, after three hours of deliberation, the jury recommended the death penalty. Good. And the judge imposed three death sentences (gasps) for all of that. I'm not going to read it again. So... Do they almost kill him, revive him, almost kill him again, right. revive him, and then kill him oh, for real? I wish. Um, so essentially, all of this was about Dylan Groney, all the kidnapping, blah, blah, blah. So then on November 3rd, 2008, he was sentenced to an additional three consecutive terms of life without parole in federal prison for kidnapping Shasta and for sexually abusing Shasta and Dylan. So now California. (laughs) On January 18th, 2007, which was the same day he was um, in federal court, Riverside County officials announced that he was charged with the Martinez murder. They couldn't... Let's see. I love that they're getting... You know, they're not saying, okay, well, he's already going to has life sentences for these murders. Let's just leave it at that. They're getting justice for these victims. Yes, 100%. They're getting their day in court. Yeah, they're waiting, and then they're like, okay, another. (laughs) So then uh, he was eventually extradited to California on January 24th, 2009, uh, five months after being sentenced to death. And then on March 15th, 2011, um, he pleaded guilty to Anthony Martinez's murder, and was sentenced to two life terms. So as of September 2012, 
he is incarcerated at the United States Penitentiary. Whoa. Which is in Terre Haute in Indiana. Whoa. Yeah. That must be for the bad fuckers. Like, I don't know. Uh, United, yeah, States United States Penitentiary. I um, think it's Terre Haute. Ter- oh, is it? I don't know. I feel like I watched a movie where they said Terre Haute. Probably. You're probably right. Or is it Tejo? <laughs> On December 6, 2013, a federal judge ruled that Joseph was mentally competent when he gave up the right to appeal his death sentence. Um, Oh, I must have skipped over it because there's so much information. But during one of them, he decided to say F you to his attorneys that he's representing himself. Oh. So they were like, well, you did that. That's your fault. Yeah. You know? So psychiatrists working with um, him, they diagnosed him with pedophilia, sadistic personality disorder, and antisocial personality disorder with narcissistic traits, um, but they said that he was legally sane. Like, Mm -hmm. he was in his right mind to make that decision, so... Because he's trying to go back and say, oh, I, you know, blah, 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 I didn't have an attorney. Could well, that, you that was your fault. imagine being the one to analyze him in a room with him? No. That would, oh my gosh. So the jurors who imposed the death penalty on him were offered counseling uh, I in order for so. them to cope with the horrific evidence that they had to deal with. So that this evidence included human remains, a wire noose, as well as uh, as videos of him torturing nine-year-old Dylan. Oh, how? Oh. During one of the videos. Oh, what? <laughs> a child could be heard screaming oh. in pain, while naked Joseph can be heard shouting, "The devil is here, boy! The devil himself! The devil likes to watch children suffer and cry." So, is he the most dangerous serial killer in America? That sounds like it to me. How has he been released from prison so So many many times? times? How did that happen? I don't get it. I don't get it. He had that long track record of molestation and sexual assault. Since he was 15. He could have saved a lot of lives. You know what I mean? Like, if they kept him in there. I don't understand how he... Kept getting so out. Maddening. Now he has like a million life terms, you know, like death penalty. And we're just gonna continue to pay taxpayers feeding him. And see, Ugh. see, this is what I'm talking about. That one episode we had a fight. Well, about. that the fight was just about being the person that has to make that decision. Uh, you know, I think yeah. anybody, any jury that has to impose a death sentence should have counsel. Oh, because I mean, that's hundred percent. Yes, and just, just it's not a light decision, but this motherfucker, right? God damn. Like, I would have said yes right away because this is so horrible. And I don't know what's worse. Like, I feel so bad for Shasta because she she has to live with this. Yeah. I would – I'm sorry, but, like, me, I feel like I would almost just want to die. Like, I – I mean, I'm sure every night that's what she sees in her dream, yeah. your nightmares. I mean, how yeah. – oh, How do you move on? Oh, I feel – I mean, bless her fucking heart. Um, I, I understand why there's not, like, movies about him, because he's a child rapist. You know how mm-hmm. there's, like, 10 million movies on Ted Bundy? But I've never even heard of this guy. Yeah. Why, why is that? Like, I'm not saying that I want him to be, like, publicized or anything, or, like, known well in the media, but I feel like we sh- should be more aware I guess, of I th- people like him. I think it's kind of what you are talking about earlier, but it's just so horrific and disgusting we want to turn a blind eye to it. Exactly. And just ignore it like it's not there. Like, this is happening in our backyard. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yep. it's so sad. Keep your um, loved ones close and your nine millimeters closer. Exactly. <sighs> or your pit bull. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh, please tell me you have a ghost end, story. Well, instead of a ghost story... I actually have, um, so Joseph had a website while he was on parole. This does not make me feel better. Well, 
I'm sorry, but the oh, stories were okay, funny to okay, me. Okay. I had I read through them and I was dying. So he had like a blog. Oh, like in every day oh he would like Jesus. it was just so ridiculous and like gibberish. Like it's Okay, anyway, let me just read this. Okay, so um prior to his arrest for all the murders, he maintained a personal website which was called The Fifth Nail. Ew. Um and apparently so the four nails are used to pierce the body of Jesus Christ in mm-hmm. his crucifixion. And then the fifth nail was taken away and hidden by the Romans, whatever. So he um, adopted that name. So in the blog, he denied being a pedophile, obviously. Um, let's see. So I have two quick blurbs that he did. Okay. Okay. Also, this so this is from InsideHook.com, and he also made YouTube videos. Ew! Uh, but I watched one of oh. them, but it was just like not. It was maybe like forty seconds, and I don't even understand what he was saying. Like he was just it's like a good thing, you know. I don't know. It was ew, just fucking ew, weird. Ew, ew, ew. Okay, so this is January eleventh, two thousand four, at two forty three p.m. I slept in again until 2 in the afternoon, but then I was up at 5 a.m. this morning playing around on my computer. I accidentally walked into my living room this morning in my underwear in front of my webcam, which proceeded to take my picture and alert my cell phone that it caught me. I erased the images off the web directory. (laughs) Wouldn't want to be accused of being an expeditionist? Expeditionist? Yeah. Ew. So, I mean, he's just making this all up, obviously. He doesn't hopefully have a cell phone or a... Well, he has a computer. I mean... Oh, my God. I mean, I don't know. So, is he trying to make it look like he's a normal person and living a normal life? Yes. Ew. Yes. Well, so let me finish. (laughs) Which would get me thrown in jail faster than you can say sex offender at it again. Ew. And I read the co- the comments what? are oh, there even are comments? yes, oh. they're even better. And people are like, "Fuck you!" Like, go to you know, like they're just <laughs> hilarious. Okay, so this is the next one. This is January sixteenth, two thousand four, at ten fourteen a.m. <sighs> I got some really good news. A friend of mine who is still in prison was just found parolable. <laughs> is that a, is that a word? Oh he is God. the only person that I have ever kept in touch with after all the years that I have been out. He called me from prison just now to let me know the good news. He has been locked up since the age of 19 when he was arrested for the violent assault and rape of a woman during a drug robbery in 1971. He is over 50 years old now, and while many people reading this might think, oh great, another one is being set free, and I wouldn't blame you if I had to judge him by his past, but this is a good man. I would not keep in touch with him if he wasn't. Let's go by Joseph's standards of what a good man is. Exactly. Please. In the movie Animal Factory that I mentioned in my previous post, this guy is like the older convict who befriended the young kid, me, and helps him survive on the inside. He showed me how to keep my self-respect and helped me recognize how the system really beats you psychologically by planting hate and self-destructive thoughts in your head. I hope so. He showed me with a lot of patience, I might add, how to replace the negative negative thoughts with positive thoughts and the hate with God's love. In prison, mm. he is a well-respected Mus- Muslim leader. Um, like me, he educated himself in prison. He received his bachelor's in psychology through Walla Walla Community College. Ah, no! Ew! But, so that that's why I took oh this story. Oh my gosh. One, you can't get your bachelor's in psychology at Walla Walla Community College. It's a junior college. You can only go there for two years. Unless, because they do do programs at the prison, but that would not be at that prison. Not at the United States prison of whatever. Right. So this would have had to be Walla Walla, right? state penitentiary yeah because i don't i don't know what programs they offer but i doubt you can get your bachelor's no. i mean if they don't offer that to the general public it should not be offered to prisoners exactly that's why i was so. cracking up when i saw that i was like oh my Go god warriors is- <laughs> 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 oh 
Okay, that's I mean, if you could get your bachelor's from Walla Community College, I would have my doctorate from there by now. Right. That's what so I'm saying. I'm like, I'm there. literally getting my bachelor's in psychology right now. And I, it would have been a lot cheaper and easier to just go here. Oh. God, he's a freak. But I, I it, it just made me laugh because, I don't know, it's just ridiculous so, to me. So stupid that he shouldn't even be allowed to put his thoughts out there for people to read. Uh, yeah. It's pretty bad. Oh, gross. Very oh, gross. Thanks, Karen. No, I mean, you told it beautifully, I guess. You spun a very nice web tail. Yeah, gross <laughs> web for everyone. No, I think it's really good because I think you're right. We do need to be aware of these crimes and yeah. people that are out there like them. Yeah, because especially if you have kids or work with kids, you need to be aware and not naive that this will never happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Exactly. So... Good. That's it. Well, I'm never letting my kids do anything. <laughs> They're never playing outside again. Speaking of, we should get oh, yeah. your where child. Where are my kids? Yeah, where are they? I think I left them at the park. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, you can follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Murder of Ages. Oh, yeah. Check out the Instagram for the pictures of our merchandise. Woo! So you can get those. You can just shoot us a message if you want to just buy one of the items or all the items or you can join patreon we have some really fun different tiers you can join yeah and you get like a little bit of everything yeah yeah exactly a goodie bag and a burlap sack (laughs) creepy (laughs) all right close this out to all you perverse notorious waste we'll meet you there